This is Identity at the Center. If it has anything to do with IAM, this is the go-to podcast. Now your hosts, Jim McDonald and Jeff Stedman. Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. I'm Jeff and that's Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Um, I'm operating, actually, usually I say not so bad, but I'm operating at like a 60% clip right now because I've been sick all week and my voice just sucks. How'd you like me getting you sick last week? Yeah, I appreciate that. It was either you or my wife. So you and I traveled all last week for client work, our real jobs, and you were sick, coughing all over the place. I'm like, stay away from me. And while you were, while we were out there, my wife was sick at home. So by the time I got home Saturday, I think by like by Sunday night, Monday, I was like, all right, one of you, one of you bastards gave me something. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. Well, I feel kind of responsible, but then I also think that, you know, you interacted with about a thousand people in the course of that week also. So it could have been any one of them. But anyway, usually I'm the one who's sick and and grinding through it. You don't get sick very often. Yeah. Um I've dodged a lot of bullets. It's good to see. (laughs) (laughs) You and I were texting. I was like, I felt like, I feel like the last couple months with all the travel I've been doing, um, 102 flights last year. So a lot in the the third quarter or fourth quarter, especially. I was like Neo in the Matrix dodging like virus and plague bullets coming my way. And I have not been sick in a very long time. And then here it goes. It happens. Fortunately, I feel like I'm getting better already, but and my voice sucks. So there may be point parts where I like point to you and say, hey, you take the next question. I can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> Do your best Yoda. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was, uh, I mean, I've, I've had my years where I've done a lot of flights. 102 is a lot of flights. Um, but doesn't it seem like every time now there's a delay? Like on this last trip, I was delayed yeah. in both directions. Yeah. Um, I was too. We got delayed. Our, we actually got stuck in Atlanta overnight. We had to stay in Atlanta and then fly out the following morning, getting where we're going. And then you got delayed coming home. I got delayed coming home the following day. And then I was actually supposed to have two flights this this week. And I missed the, the first. The first flight was delayed, and I wasn't going to make my connection, and I wasn't going to be able to get to where I needed to go in time. So I was like, I will just cancel that. Which actually worked out well because I was sick anyway at that point. So I was like, ah, I'm not going to go. <laughs> it's not worth it. Yeah. And then at that point, it was just kind of like, which is, which is, which will stay home this week and get free and clear. Don't be that guy who gets on the plane and is like, ah, ah, yeah. all over the place. <laughs> Do something. Do something. Mm-hmm. Go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So um, we we're focused a lot on privilege access management last week. And then the announcement came out that uh, Delinea acquired. Um, Authomize. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. I, I always thought pretty highly of, of those guys. And, you know, Gal was on the podcast in our early days, right? Before we yeah. had good audio quality or any of that good stuff at, you know, episode 98, all the way back in June of 2021. And by the way, cool. you know how I, I found that? I went to idacpodcast.com. I clicked listen to the show. We've got a handy dandy search bar that you put out there. And I'm telling you that search bar is like, it's better than most search bars that are out there. Like it really, it really works actually. I spent literally minutes putting that together. So I'm glad you uh, appreciate the Andy work of a simple search, but yeah, Um, you're, you know, you're a natural promoter. You, you know, promoting the website already. This is great. Yeah. Well, and in addition to that on the website, we've got the leave us a voicemail button. And so as a special promotion for the leave us a voicemail, we're doing a little, uh, let's call it a contest. I don't know that it's really a contest, but if you leave us a voicemail and it's a question that we can use on an upcoming episode on February 5th, we're going to pick five questions, run them. You and I are going to answer them. That's going to be the episode, right? Um, and we are going to have links that people will get a free ebook copy of Learning Digital Identity by Phil Wimley. And we had him on a recent episode great interview awesome book um so if you're interested you want a copy of the book or you just want to play a role and hear your voice on the podcast go out to idacpodcast.com click listen to or i'm sorry leave a voicemail or what is it is it that or talk is to it us. contact us or something yeah, it's like, like that? you go to the home page and there's a little flyer on the right hand side that pops up says talk to us 
And then, yeah, you just record. You can do that. And thanks to, I think it was Tim, maybe, who spotted that the mobile website was broken. So I fixed that. And we got his. So that's good. Um, so yeah, you can go to the mobile website or the regular website. You'll see a little, a little banner says talk to us. You can also go to the contact page. It's there too. Send us a voicemail. Comes to Jim and I. And uh, yeah, we'll use the best ones. We'll pick five of them and uh, get yourself a free ebook. It's the first time we've done a, a contest giveaway. It's kind of exciting for us. Yeah. And I would say that, look, even if it's not one of the five we do on that episode, I think if we get some extra questions, we'll incorporate them into future episodes. Mm -hmm. You're responsible for, by the way, for contacting winners and getting stuff out there. I'm, I'm, I'm putting that on you. <laughs> oh, well, that's my reward. <laughs> that is your reward. What else? Anything else going on or should we get to our, our main Let's get to it, content? man. I mean, like, this is an episode I've been looking forward to for a long time. We met these guys all the way back at Identiverse last year. And, you know, it's kind of finally come full circle. So let's get into it. Yeah. And we got like a little bit of an alf alphabet soup. I'm not even sure what I'm going to call this episode yet. Maybe it'll name itself as we're going along. Or maybe if any of us come up with a good name for how I should call this, I'm looking for ideas. We're going to talk about CAPE, ITDR, SSF. We've got a tool from uh, Signal. He's a CTO. Uh, tool, Toolship. I, I knew I would screw it up. I'm so sorry. I told Atul Toshi Begwale, CTO of okay. Signal and co-chair of the Shared Signals Working Group and corporate board member at the OpenID Foundation. Welcome, Atul. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. You know, I, I was practicing before the show hit. I was like, all right, let me try and get this in my head and we get it get right. And then immediately I goofed it up. I'm going to blame it on the sickness. Um, we've also got a bonus guest as well. This is a two for one today. We've got Sean O'Dell. He's a senior staff security engineer, consumer and workforce identity and access management at Disney, a small little company that people might have heard of. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thank you both for having me. Pleasure to be here. So um, as with uh, some of our guests, sometimes we need to make sure that opinions that are expressed are their own. I'm going to make sure I, I read this out so that people uh, understand viewpoints here. This podcast appearance by Sean O'Dell is for informational purposes only. The content should be regarded as general information and serve as a springboard for your own independent investigations. All perspectives expressed by Sean O'Dell hereafter are his own. All right. Now we're free and clear. We can talk about anything we want. Why don't we start with you, Atul? Tell us a little bit about your identity origin story. We're going to get to Sean as well, but how about you go first? How did you get into the world of identity? Is it something that you chose or did it choose you? Uh, yeah, it's uh, actually an interesting story that... Uh, I was working on supercomputing and uh, I was in India back then and uh, I was working on the first supercomputer that India developed and uh, the day we got the first order for that supercomputer, super uh, USA kind of brought down the export controls so we were in the free market after that and uh, you know I was suddenly feeling the pressure uh, of you know commercial uh, uh, pressure from American competitors. So I was wondering what to do next. And I was like, okay, you know, there's this uh, thing called the internet and, you know, you're never going to be sure who's on the other end of that internet. And, and that's how I got into public cryptography. It was something that I had read about. And I found a job in, in Pune in India, uh, uh, that was a startup that was doing cryptography based stuff. And so I thought, Hey, that's a good place to be. Well, I go there and it turns out that I built on the software and the, the toolkit, the, you know, the cryptographic toolkit that I was supposed to be using, uh, they couldn't export that to India. So that's how, you know, I ended up in the U.S. Um, after they got some kind of a clearance from the Department of Commerce to have me work on that toolkit over here. And when I was here in Atlanta, I was um, sort of introduced to this company called VeriSign which was a very tiny company at that time. And uh, I was sort of uh, really, uh, you know, the, I, it just caught my imagination, like all the different possibilities with the, uh, you know, public key uh, cryptography and, you know, the public certificate authority and all that. That's how I got into identity, is I joined Verisign as the, you know, the 13th engineer there. So. And you also do some work with the Shared Signals Working Group with the OpenID Foundation. I kind of mentioned that when I introduced you. Tell us about the Shared Signals Working Group. What is it and what would you say you do around there? So the Shared Signals Working Group is the part of the OpenID Foundation. Like people know the OpenID Foundation mainly through the OpenID Connect protocol, which is the single sign-on protocol. 
The shared signals working group you can think of as a, a generalized framework for asynchronous um, communication, right? And so um, you can think of, you know, something like a webhook, like a, you know, an API webhook where, you know, you, you call an API and I say, oh, well, you know, tell me about this when something changes or something like that. And that's, that's what the shared signals framework is. What goes into those asynchronous communications are events. Uh, they're in the form of, you know, security event tokens or CPs and keep, uh, uh, and risk are two applications that, uh, sit on top of the shared signals framework. And so the development of these standards, the shared signals framework, the key events and the risk events all together is the work of the shared signals working group. And so we've just recently released the second implementers draft of the shared signals framework, which is a pretty big effort. Uh, and, you know, onward and forward. And, you know, and because we're talking about the Shared Signals Framework, maybe I should make a little announcement here for our co-speaker. Co uh, are you ready, Sean? Let's hear it. So uh, as of Tuesday, you'll be sharing my burden of being a co-chair. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm happy to announce that here. Uh, so congratulations. Happy to take on the workload and, and the yeah. honor. I appreciate it. <laughs> You put some applause on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I got sound effects right. for everything. <laughs> well, that's great. That's exciting. Sean, we're going to get to you. So I want to ask again about a tool, your background. I mentioned also you're the CTO of Signal, and that's sgnl.ai. For the people who aren't familiar with Signal, what is Signal's purpose in life? Like, what are the problems that you're looking to solve? Right. So I think, you know, the immediate problem that we're trying to solve is the uh, ability to manage authorization at enterprise scale, right? So we think that the access management or access control problem is being solved largely at the developer level in, in some cases and, you know, and through uh, more static systems that don't really scale uh, to the, you know, the speed and the automation that is required in today's enterprises. And so what we do is basically we work on the principle that you should not have to manually you know, decide permissions for anyone really at any point of time. And so that, you know, naturally leads to what we call as, you know, zero standing access. And then you want to manage your access policies at scale. So you need to have a very, you know, human readable policies that you can organize in reusable snippets and, you know, have very good controls around how to manage them and all that. And then you need to be able to enforce that um, access at various levels, your infrastructure like AWS and uh, Azure or, you know, even Linux and SSH and all the way up to like your APIs and, you know, various API gateways or internal applications and stuff like that. And then all this needs to be, you know, audited in real time and, you know, be able to, uh, you know, uh, enforce these decisions in real time. So in a, in a nutshell, that's kind of what Signal does. Well, we'll have a link in our show notes so people can check out, kind of learn more about it. Um, Sean, let's, let's turn it over to you. Identity origin stories. Tell us how you got into the wonderful world of identity. I'll give you a part one and a part 1.1. 1 .1. So uh, first, the first time came around, so working for a logistics company doing like LTL and truckload freight and even small package shipping and uh, had to hand build a CRM from scratch. But I had to figure out um, using the lovely principal identity from Microsoft, uh, doing it in like a, .NET 1.1 before it was actually like a, a thing. So I had to figure out authentication, authorization, and access before it was really a thing. Uh, built out a homegrown authorization engine, built out a homegrown access engine, migrated it out of, out of SQL and put it into um, its own standing thing. Uh, then they got acquired and I went and worked for a medical company. So that was my first foray into it. And it looked kind of interesting. And it was a, it was, it was a very good domain. I was much more intrigued with authorization than authentication. That was pretty easy. So, and here's the part one dot one to it. Um, I had to take over a thing, which is surprisingly still well-known, uh, called BitQ Keystone. Um, I had to learn that from scratch and it was, it was a beef. So my origin story is like two parts to it. First, it was the, the, the dabble and, oh, it shows me for sure. And then I dived in deeper and 
won't look back. It's 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 so much fun. Every day is something different. It's like a horse head left in your in your bed. You try to get out and you just can't. You work with Disney now, I guess. Tell us a little bit about your role with Disney and sort of the maybe just kind of briefly. What does a you know engineer do from a, a, a IM perspective? I work with the entire company on workforce and consumer identity. Everything from pushing standards to be adopted, doing it the right way with standards, um, helping build out implementations, roll out services, own services, run security services, insert IAM bingo buzzword here across the gamut. Uh, we do privilege access, all of it. So my scale is the company and uh, my scope is IAM. And it's it's honestly so much fun. It, I, I enjoy it every day. It's again, identity never sleeps. Uh, so that quote from Gordon Gecko from Wall Street, for sure. But uh, instead if of money, one to steal, identity, that's the one to steal. <laughs> exactly, right? It's, it's a mixture of like, you're an engineer, you're an architect, and you're a consultant all in one. And your scope is, it's so much fun. And you were at Identiverse last year and you gave a presentation there. Can you tell us a little about that? And are you going to be at Identiverse again this year? And if that's so, you have anything planned to, to talk about there? Did a couple submissions and a panel, uh, being on the, being on, you know, participating in the working group and now being, you know, officially responsible for shepherding that along. I did submit two submissions. Uh, one was for zero standing privilege. The other one is for, um, I don't want to give it away, but it's, it's an interesting title, but it involves shared signals and Cape and what powers it. Cause you know, we'll, we'll talk about it more on this, on this podcast. And the other one is, is, is a panel with all of the co-chairs on, uh, the shared signals working group. It sounds really cool. So Sean, before we hit record, you had come up with an analogy and I think we should use it because, <clears throat> you know, these terms, shared signals and Cape, most people are not familiar with it. Why don't you throw your analogy out there and we'll, we'll see what, we'll throw it against the wall, see if anyone salutes. Well, this is going to show my age, so that's okay. Uh, the, Analogy with what Cape and shared signals is goes back like let's say way back. So you can look at it from a uh, if a law enforcement agency were ever to issue an all points bulletin, that would be essentially a Cape event. Like this is a person of interest. This is a person to watch out for. If you see this person, they're going to be dangerous. Don't engage with them. That's the event. But the shared signals framework is when you have law agency in Denver sending a fax. Here's the age to someone in Atlanta or a counterpart over in Colorado or in LA, the transmission of the facts is essentially the protocol to send the Cape event. That is what shared signals is. Another way to look at it is you had a, a wanted flyer. I know that I'm in search of something or a wanted flyer. I'm walking around and putting wanted flyers out over telephone poles and whatnot. Again, the event is flyer. The transmission is me walking it around one by one. So it's kind of like a good analogy to start sticking into like, what is Cape, what shared signals, and how does it trans, how does it transpose from real world to digital? Uh, with one minor nuance, uh, there's a there's a lot of the difference in the digital world versus the real world. Real world, you know, this person's like a person of interest or like a malicious actor, whereas in the digital world, it's a signal. Like we think it is, like this IP looks suspicious or this behavioral event that. Bob did looks bad or what a tool. So you're profiling. Suspense. Let's be honest. You're profiling these folks, these, these poor folks. And we're only profiling because the P in Cape stands for that. Okay. Well, so no, we'll I mean, I, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, right? You have the, the central agency, which is like your, your central IT capability and it's sending it to the individual departments, which are like your applications, right? So that's the key, that's the message that you're sending is watch out for this person of interest, <laughs> correct? <laughs> because yeah. they're they're throwing off these these uh, they're fitting this profile of like oh they're hitting it with a headless browser or they're you know they've tried to authenticate unsuccessfully fifty times, et cetera, et cetera. So I just wanted to add to what Sean just said, right? So it's not necessary that, you know, each event could be anything suspicious in itself, right? Like it should, could just be an innocuous kind of observation. Like, hey, you know, I saw this user 
come to this application. You know, that by itself doesn't mean anything. But then if you see the same user within like a span of a few uh, seconds visit, like, you know, five or 10 different applications, then, you know, that could be a lateral movement attack and, you know, you want to respond to that, right? So uh, an event by itself doesn't necessarily mean anything's wrong. It just means that you've observed something that could be of interest to others. And it's all, can I, I'm going to add one, you, perfect. I'm going to add one more thing. It's, it, and Jim, I think the way you said it is not every signal is bad. The whole point of the shared symbols framework is the beginning word of it. It's share. Cause you know, to get to zero trust, we all have to share. It's taught same language, right? So if I present an, a leading indicator that you, Jim, your system sees, my leading indicator with what you're seeing could lead to an aggregate signal that you have collectively to say, Ooh, Sean sent me this, Jim has this, both of them together to you could say an informational signal for me and a, a medium one from you could equal a high, which means you, Jim, as your system could take action on it. You don't have to, but you could. Yeah, I, I see a ton of value in this. It is kind of complex. So I want to try to bring it back to building blocks, uh, especially for people who might not have all the context. So a, on a tool, if you could kind of help us define and understand. So it's CAPE is continuous access evaluation profile. That's the profiling bit that we were joking about a little bit earlier, C-A-E-P. You know, the yep. funny thing is like, if you go onto Google and Google C-A-E-P identity, by the way, C-A-E-P also stands for other things, but within our space, within this identity space, it's like, a tool, a tool, a tool. <laughs> You're listed over and over again, and so we're hearing from the extra. What what is this? What is Cape? Yeah. So uh, it started as, and that's maybe some of the confusion that it started as continuous access evaluation protocol, and it was you know based on a little blog that I wrote when I was in Google back I guess five years ago now, and then uh, what happened was we started meeting informally as a as a cross-industry group, there were about, you know, 30 odd companies from around the world that were meeting outside, you know, any standard body at that point. And then we realized that, hey, you know, we, uh, we, although the objective that we are trying to achieve, which is session security, is different, uh, we are sharing the mechanism of asynchronous publishing and subscribing with this other thing called risk. And so the two merged and that's how the shared signals framework came about and then Cape became, you know, continuous access evaluation profile of that chain signals framework, right? So just just to clear up that little confusion there, right? So so uh, you know what Cape is really all about is being able to improve your session security by sharing signals that are relevant to your user session, right? Because in today's world, a you're always signed into a, a large number of services, you're using a large number of services simultaneously. And B, there are many independent services that are actually being able to tell information about what, uh, about your posture, about your security, about, you know, something about uh, your ability to uh, have that session, right? And like, for instance, while I'm using my computer, uh, you know, there may be an endpoint security program that is on my computer that is detecting something about my computer. If, if they detect something, then they need to be able to tell someone else that, hey, uh, you know, this person is on this computer and I'm, I'm detecting some malware on it. And so, you know, you should sort of uh, take care of that situation or a service provider that you're working like, in, let's say, uh, using Google Drive or some uh, file sharing service. And they detect that all of a sudden the same user who was previously in, uh, you know, Cupertino, California, suddenly is in, in Taiwan or something like that, right? So, uh, you know, you should be able to uh, share this information about what you're seeing in order to build a more complete security picture and then in real time be able to affect, you know, what that user's experience is in terms of using those services that they're using. Yeah, I love that example that you just brought up, which I often hear referred to as impossible travel, right? You can't go right. from Cupertino to New York City in 15 minutes um, so or 15 seconds in some cases, right? Yeah. So um, just in thinking about that, you know, I usually hear that associated with conditional access or adaptive authentication. Am I on the right track? Are the but there's got there's more to it, right? Yeah, I think 
uh, ultimately, I think there's recognition that this is a problem that a lot of different companies have attempted to solve. And the difference with CAPE and everything else is basically CAPE is a standardized way of doing things, right? So you may set rules of conditional access in, let's say, your Azure or uh, you know other systems where you can say, oh, if this user is coming from this IP address and allow, allow them, or if not, don't allow them. But that's kind of specific to one particular system, whereas what Cape is trying to do is expand that across different vendors, across different, uh, you know, uh, services. And why that is important is because every enterprise, you know, without exception, uh, is going to have a multitude of vendors, right? And you, you really cannot control what kind of technologies at play. So you need to establish some kind of a baseline that everybody can communicate with so that, you know, you improve the overall security for all users, right? Yeah, that's a really good explanation. And, um, you know, you mentioned the blog article. We're going to throw a link to that in the show notes. You know, the other thing, Sean, that this is sounding a lot like, so when I when I hear a tool talk about CAPE, it reminds me a lot of what an ITDR can do. So what are the similarities and differences between CAPE and an ITDR, or am I am I missing the plane here? I think there's an element of CAPE and ITDR. So the way I broke it down is the ITD is the CAPE. The R is the ITD is like how to explain this. The ITD is how you figure out how do you assemble a CAPE event, right? But the R is the response, and the response is using the shared symbols framework with a CAPE event. So it's it's very tangential to it, and it 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 should be pivotal in any ITDR strategy, because it is like Atul said, you you can use this. If vendors vendors have tried to solve this independently, right? But if you have them all speaking shared signals using CAPE events, then you get true vendor interop, which then you you lower your security threshold of having to have a privileged API into Azure or a privileged, uh, privileged API into your IDP or into your, your PAN system. So if, if vendors all support shared signals using like Cape events, for example, your identity threat detection, you can focus harder on that. And then your response is emit signal to A, emit signal to B, emit signal to C. So the word where I think companies should focus more on is their business and what looks suspicious than worrying about I have to call 15 systems API independently and I have to worry about when they change their APIs versus if you just accept the standard, everyone wins. I really like that explanation, how you said, okay, the the um, the CAPE and the shared signals framework is essentially the ITD and then not the R. Um, Atul, Actually, where it was do you the, come from on this? The oh, R? Go ahead. No, no, no. The, the R is the response and the response is the signal. So the response is the shared signal. The ITD is the brain behind it. So the response is the the shared signal with the CAPE event. So if I, if I misspoke, sorry, Jim. Okay, no, no, that's great. Um, Atul, it so, looks like you're you're ready to jump in and add something. Yeah, I, I just wanted to mention that you know, threat detection is is a multi-homed uh, kind of uh, you know uh, exercise, right? Because you cannot detect a threat by just observing someone in one little corner of, you know, all the multiple systems that uh, you're having, right? If those systems can communicate with each other, you even improve your threat detection, right? So it's not just the response, which also like helps in the threat detection itself. That's right. I mean, yeah, you. I think that's one of the things that we we talk about with our clients and we talk a lot about on the podcast is, you know, you if you get overwhelmed with the number of events or things that look suspicious, then the things that actually are a problem just kind of like hide in that. You have to be able to separate the wheat and the chafe, as they say. And Jim, I want to add on to what Atul said. It's, it's, a, it's a good follow-on where it's almost like the response of multiple systems helps with your threat detection. So it's almost like Sharing is caring. That was part of my identifier talk last year is sharing is caring because if you have 15 systems all doing this and they all share the same information, you get better at the detection because you get you get better responses. So just thinking of identifiers, just a little plug out there for people who are thinking about going 
it's going to be in May this year, and it's an awesome conference. So um, Jeff and I are planning on being back there. Sean, I, I, I mean, one of the really cool things about having you on the podcast is you're, like, you're an, uh, an actual practitioner putting these things to work. Give us a little, uh, like, a, maybe not like really how you're, what you're doing it on, but an example of like real life where, how, how do you put something like this into, into motion? And then I also think like if somebody's starting from, you know, from the base level, this is like, they don't have Cape or shared signals, but they're really intrigued by this concept. Where did they get started? So first some kind of like real world examples, and then maybe some, some real world guidance of like how you go from not using this to using it. Well, it's actually a, a good plug for there. So part of what, uh, a tool has uh, asked that I help shepherd along is contributing use cases in the working group so that it addresses the exact question you have is where do I start? Because you have to always start with the business case first and why it's needed and what the use cases are and build backwards. Because you can build a shared signal system with CAPE. Awesome. Um, what's the adoption look like? So it's uh yeah you have to start business case first like what do you what do you want to go after because you can very easily get into a signal to noise ratio problem very quickly and by signal to noise meaning I'm gonna pepper you with ten thousand events and you're gonna know not know which one is which one do you act on so Jim I think you asked like what's a a real world example um I'm gonna give this to you and this is a pretty pretty uh wide known problem. It's more of more of an annoyance. Everyone subscribes to some streaming platform, pick them across the board. And this is not a plug for Disney plus. So please do not think that sometimes you get locked out of your TV and I don't know about everybody else, but like, I hate putting my password in into Roku or name system X. It is so bothersome and annoying. What this could help do is help enhance the user experience through security. So let's, let's, let's give a prime example. Let's say we talk about your favorite example, Jim, the, the Superman case. I can't be in Cupertino in Atlanta in the, in the same 15 seconds. If I'm on my streaming subscription and all of a sudden I, I see like a, a device came from Atlanta, but you know, I usually watch stuff in California using tape and share signals powered by some detection engine that's, that has to happen so that it, you can't just implement shift signals and watch it happen. There has to be some kind of threat detection or behavioral analysis that says, I only watch this show or I only watch this platform from California. You're coming from Atlanta. That looks weird. So using the shared symbols framework, you would emit a session revoke CAPE event for that device, not for your entire account. So you can still be at home in California streaming your, your favorite shows and you're not burdened because someone got your password on, have I been pwned or take your pick site X, right? So the applicability there is, is very real. It's, it's being, it's being prescriptive in security and being very consumer friendly to not, dis, not, not to disturb someone's user experience. So it's very, it's very good to harp on that. Through security, you get through security, you get better user experience as, as one exact case, but that's one of many that you come up with, but that's a very one that should hit home with most people. Let me throw a twist in there because I think. That's, that's a, it's a compelling use case. Let me flip it on its head though. I travel a lot. I'm constantly logging into things all over the U S <laughs> for the most part. Is there a way that something like Cape or the shared signals framework can help me? Maybe is picked up that I did log on to one system already and it's not going to throw me another alert on another system that I tried to log in or an application. Is there a way to help my scenario with something like this? If you travel a lot, you if you travel a lot and it's consistent because you go to different places, you have to make a lot, a lot of assumptions, but whatever's powering your shared signals implementation using Cape, that is your behavioral analysis that we know Jeff travels to fifth, well, apparently 102 flights a year. So that's a lot, right? So if you travel a lot, maybe the geolocation where you're at is not an indicator for your given account. But maybe it's like, okay, we move your geographical, we move your geographical boundary from state to country, right? But if we see something coming from like UK, Colombia, Switzerland, 
that's suspect. Or other thing is, even if you travel, you tend to use the same device, right? So if you're an iOS person or an Android person, let's just say you're an iOS person. And all of a sudden I see Samsung or high tech or whatever. Now mm-hmm. then we can move, you move the behavioral analysis from some fact to some other dimension. So you don't go just based off a of location. You go based off device, even time of day. You could. But in your example, I would say device would be the device is the next leading indicator. And again, that's why it's important that we could send signals that looks like hmm, Jeff's in Arizona, Louisiana, Maine, wherever you are. Not a bad thing. But if all of a sudden we see you in Montana when we know you don't go there, could be. And and, and you you could have some friction, but that's kind of where you have have to have this is not a CAPE or an, or an SSF spec, but you have to have that feedback loop from your guests or from your users and say, no, this is really me. This is really me. That way you know that it's really you and that your behavioral signal that you're powering to enable signals in CAPE happen, your data, your, your data analysis has to be accurate and has to always be given that feedback model. Great question. Yeah. Or great twist, yeah. I should say. I went. I, I, I think a, the, the device thing was what I was thinking. At all, what do you want to add in? Uh, I can add a couple of enterprise cases because one very early adopter of Cape, although they predate the standard, and so uh, they have adopted it in their own sort of way, uh, is Microsoft. And how they've done it is that you know previously they used to use short-lived tokens between you know Microsoft Azure AD and you know Exchange and Teams and the, uh, what those short-lived tokens uh, meant that the user had to re-log in every hour or so in order to prove that they still are sort of the same user, right? Now, what happened is uh, after they started using Cape, they were able to extend the token, li- token lifetime to a much longer time so that if something was wrong with that user, they could just send a Cape message between Azure AD and Exchange or Azure AD and Teams uh, in order to say that this user should be logged out, right, for example. And that sort of was a grand, you know, it was something that uh, they've actually said that, uh, you know, it's one of the four pillars of their, you know, reliability strategy, right? Uh, and so it's a huge thing for, you know, the top services of Microsoft to be using something like tape. It's not the standard by itself, but it's something very similar, right? And they even call it continuous access evaluation. And they acknowledge that, at sort of leveraging the concepts and the standard. The other use case I was going to talk about was the Apple use case. They recently announced in the uh, WWDC that they require custom IDPs to support shared signals uh, in order to be able to integrate with Apple Business Manager. Now, Apple Business Manager is like this device management thing where if you get a Mac from your employer, you know you can manage it using Apple Business Manager and then uh, you know, you can have certain restrictions about its use and things like that. Now, let's say you're, you're using your Mac or your iPhone and, uh, you know, your IDP says, well, this person has changed their password and you need to change, you need to enter your changed password on your device. Uh, they're going to send a keep message, which is a credential change message to Apple. And then Apple is going to lock you out of your device until you re-enter your, your password, right? For example. So those are some of the sort of publicly known, you know, enterprise use cases. I'm sure there are more, and I'm sure Sean knows of a lot more, but, you know, uh, those are the ones that we can talk about here. And Atoll, I want to hit on something that Jim said earlier, like, what's the difference between conditional access and adaptive authentication? The irony here is getting a thing in, getting a thing in your business, in the workforce like CAPE, gives you that. Because you could give the work, your, your workforce user a longer session with bigger trust if you have a thing like CAPE in place. And uh, it, it's very, shared signals and CAPE brings together a lot of IAM domains. It really does. Like authentication, access, authorization, it brings it all together. And it, I don't want to say it's core to a strategy, but it can it can power a lot of what like a product team would, would want to do in the IAM space from a workforce perspective. There's a lot of workforce stuff to talk about too still. So here's an update that I would like to see. I don't want to have to keep logging into my Blizzard account, play World of Warcraft every time my network changes. <laughs> I mean, that's that's where I'm looking for Cape to benefit me or shared signals framework or something. It's like, dude, it's the same laptop. 
yes, you're logging in again. Why are you prompting me again? Like, I feel like, you know, I think very, I mean, we've been doing those podcasts like four and a half years. And I think very early on, I kind of pointed to the gaming industry as one of the early adopters of just MFA at large because of account takeovers and things like that and how valuable, you know, some of those things, those digital things were. And I was like, oh yeah, like Blizzard is great. Like they're, they send you a push notification and you click a button and you're in. And now it's like super annoying. It's like, all I did was go from one network to another network. It's still the same device. Like what's the problem here, right? Um, shouldn't we have a better way to do that? You know, I got to do my dailies, man. Come on. This has been a, um, an interesting discussion. I'll be honest. I don't know if, quite sure if I get it yet. You might have to do a follow-up conversation. It's okay. Is this what you mean? I feel like I'm a little bit into that first month of like high school chemistry and you're like, what just happened? And then all <laughs> of a sudden it's going to start to click. Um, but I think I'm starting to get it. Let me try to wrap things up here. And, and, and actually, Sean, I'll ask you. And I just want to have as simple of a definition as you possibly can make it. Pretend I'm an idiot. You don't have to pretend, but you know, for the for the podcast, just pretend. Um, <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> what is CAPE? CAPE in its current state is a way you can manage user slash identity sessions. And the shared signals framework is the way in which you communicate that message to systems. Okay, that's very helpful. I appreciate that. <laughs> My simple brain was starting to explode. And I need to save some room to, to talk about, well, a couple things. Uh, the first thing is your, I, usually I have the most interesting like office kind of background just because I have a nice camera and monitor and trees and lights and stuff like that behind me. But Sean, you got you to gotta explain to people what a tool Jim and I have been looking past you at for like the last 45 minutes or so. Tell, explain your office to people. Well, I'm a new father. I used to have a bigger office downstairs uh, that had life-size Star Wars Stormtrooper bust from episodes two, three, and four. So clone troopers to, to stormtroopers. But uh, I got moved upstairs because he now runs the first floor and I have been recluse to up here. So what you can't see in the background is I have a problem. I collect hot toys and sideshow collectibles. I'm a collector and I have uh, 37 hilts and 22 helmets and eight full-size busts from Star Wars. And they range from Commander Gree to all the stormtroopers. I have uh, so many helmets and uh, I, I have probably, I don't even know how many, but I have a very forgiving wife. It's just be collecting like more stuff, but uh, I have a lot of cool things. I have, I have a, a rose gold saber from General Leia as well. I, I have a, too wow. much to talk about, but they're all, it's all very, it's limited. I don't go for like the, the black series stuff. I want like the, the collector stuff. Yeah. And it's all right. behind UV glass and yeah. What's the most, uh, I guess the rarest item that you've got in your collection. The rarest thing I have is a mint inbox 1977 Millennium Falcon. Oh, wow. Dude, I, when I was a kid, that was what I wanted so badly. And I never got one. I have two You're of them. About the one that I played with and one that is like not open. That's so cool. Let's keep with the sort of the, the Disney theme here in honor, in honor of Sean and the small company that he works for. Um, this is a question for everybody. Um, Atul, we'll start with you. What's your favorite Star Wars, Marvel, or Indiana Jones movie or TV show? Yeah, I think <laughs> there's so many good ones, but I, I got to go with uh, Rogue One which was a recent movie from the Star Wars series. And, you know, it's so good. It was so good. I, I did not expect it because, you know, ever since sort of the merger between Disney and Star Wars happened, I was like, uh, you know, where is all this going? But Rogue One just completely, uh, you know, astonished me. And uh, I just loved everything about it. That's a good movie. It's funny. Um, it's... I don't want to spoil it, but I feel like it's kind of like, oh, it's kind of out there because it's already, I mean, really, it's kind of what happens to get the Death Star plans, right? That's yeah. sort of like the thing. And in the first, well, fourth episode, I guess, depending on how you watch the, the original, um, you know, arc of the movies, everyone dies at the end. <laughs> so it's kind of like a, a little, it, it ends on kind of a downer, but it's such a good movie. I'm with you. And I, I, I got to ask, I love what Disney has done with the Star Wars franchise. They've put out so many good things. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's caretaking going on to make sure that the brand doesn't get, you know, screwed up. But between Mandalorian 
you got Baby Yoda. I mean, there's you got. Uh, I liked Obi Wan. I thought it was great. I liked the Boba Fett stories. Um, you've got. I haven't seen Os- uh, Os- um, Osaka yet. Or yeah, no. What is it? What's her name? The Jedi. Ahsoka. Ahsoka. Sorry. Ahsoka. Yeah. I'm like Ahsoka's not right. That's a place. Uh, Ahsoka. I haven't seen that one yet, but I've heard good things about it. So I feel like there's there's a lot of good choices out there. Sean, what's your favorite Marvel, Indiana Jones, or Star Wars movie or show? Well, Tool took my answer, so probably shouldn't say Rogue One again because we just heard that. Because I talked about Star Wars the entire time, I'll go Marvel, and it's traditional Iron Man. Iron Man 1 set the foundation for the MCU. It was an mm-hmm. epic movie that if you haven't watched the, the special on it, see how it was filmed on like a shoestring budget. Uh, Favreau made that film. Like he, he set the stage for the MCU. Is that behind the scenes? Is that something that they can see on Disney? Because I, I haven't seen that. I'd be, I want to see that. Yeah, it's on, I think it's on Disney Plus. Yeah. Okay. okay. Nice. It's um, shameless plug, but no, hey, I mean, I have Disney. I, a lot of people have Disney says they don't need our help selling <laughs> subscriptions. That's <laughs> the one thing. Uh, if, if Identity at the Center makes a drop in the Disney numbers, hey, you know, we'll, we'll be happy to have them sponsor us. Uh, Jim, what's your favorite Star Wars, Marvel, or Indiana Jones movie? Actually, I was going to surprise you with by picking a show because I saw The Mandalorian a while ago and like I really enjoyed it. But I've got to go with like old school Return of the Jedi. I enjoyed that, man. And like, you know, I think that was it's it's funny. You look back at some of those movies now and you're just like, oh, my God, these graphics suck. You got to remember the time frame when they were created. And um, I mean, you know, at the time they just completely blew me away i mean it was such a shift right it was like at that point when those movies came out the original was like everybody wanted a lightsaber like everybody wanted it right it was like the thing that i remember my you know my my i have younger brothers and the next youngest we each had plastic lightsabers and we would chase each other around in the front yard swinging at each other and i have a scar in my nose from defeating him in battle and then him throwing a a chunk of a door sighting at me because he was not happy about that. <laughs> so yeah. I have a Star Wars story. Oh, yeah. Just before you do that, I just wanted to, my last notes would be <clears throat> I kind of wish I did more th- what Sean did and kind of collected them because I remember having like all these figurines and toys from Star Wars. And like, I remember I had the Luke Skywalker in the orange jumpsuit and sticking his head in the dirt and pushing it and breaking his head off. Like, that's how I play with my toys. Like, I got full value out of like destroying them. Uh, but I wish I could go back and have that in the box, like never open. I have two of each one to play with. And one, you know, at the time they're like, it's going to put you through college. Now. No, but again, they're like, they'll put you through college. I'm like, mm-hmm. let me tell you right now that I'm going to, they didn't, <laughs> they didn't appreciate that once that fall. <laughs> I want to, at some point we have to unpack why Jim was taking action figures and ripping their heads off. I feel like that explains a lot, Jim. <laughs> yeah that was young jim that was like six seven years old like yeah but i mean all my toys were broken sean you took mine i'm a i'm a big iron man fan i really didn't know the character until uh fabro and kind of put that out and i was like holy yes like this is this is amazing right it was kind of like and this is marvel's answer to batman for the dc and it's like so much better i now i love batman i think it's great too but the whole character of iron man and i think especially with the way that it was portrayed as Tony Stark and it was just perfect casting. So I don't know. Can I pick this? I don't, I'm not going to pick the same one. I'll say, I, I mean, I enjoy a lot of the different things. The one I think that captured me most recently was probably Loki, the series on uh, Disney um, for the Marvel series. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic. And uh, alligator or crocodile Loki is, is awesome. So if you ever watched that, you know what that's all about. But I thought it was, I thought it was, original and it was a good story and i still have to watch season two but um i'm with you iron man is 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 the bomb as the kids say i don't even have to say anymore <laughs> the casting, i'm gonna make the casting for him is amazing yeah yeah sorry Jim. no no i'm gonna make a suggestion because i'm sure most of our listeners like these genres as well and if you're listening you're just like shouting your answer at your iphone or however you're listening Go out to LinkedIn where we post this comment or when Jeff posts this episode and just drop in what your favorite was. We'd love to hear it. 
Galloping interesting. A lot of out of context, like, hey, this episode's available. And all of a sudden, it's just a bunch of TVs, movie shows, <laughs> things like that. I think that's really funny. <laughs> all right. I think that's a good spot to leave it. Um, we'll go ahead and wrap things up. Uh, Atul, Sean, thank you guys for spending the time with us. Um, I think this was such a dense topic. It took me a little bit to get my head around it. So I, I feel like this is an area where it's kind of like just beginning. So definitely appreciate the work that you guys are doing as part of the, as part of the, um, the working group, right? To get this out. This is how things start, right? It starts at that level. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's like SAML, OpenID Connect, right? These things that everybody knows about and understands. So I appreciate you guys being part of the conversation and kind of helping uh, start to demystify how this works. Uh, we'll have links in our show notes. Um, if you want to connect with Sean or a tool on LinkedIn, you can definitely check them, uh, check out the show notes there. We'll have a link to Signal, S-G-N-L.ai, so you can learn more about what a tool and his company does. We'll have a link to the blog that Atul wrote around this, Rethinking Federated Identity with the Continuous Access Evaluation Protocol, which is now Profile, my understanding, what I got from this conversation. Um, and yeah, you can always connect with Jim and I on LinkedIn. We're on the web, idacpodcast.com. We're on Twitter or X or whatever it is now, at idacpodcast, uh, Mastodon at idacpodcast at infosec.exchange. And yeah, connect with us on LinkedIn as well. Uh, don't forget to leave us a voicemail, win a copy of the book uh, that Phil Winley wrote, and uh, hear your voice on air uh, February 5th. So anything else, Jim, that I forget, or are we ready to go? No, you rocked it, man. And, you know, you did really well considering that, again, you have the cold or flu or RSV or, dare I say, you've got the uh No, I tested negative. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm good on that. I think it was just... Uh, Allergies or some sort of this is know, allergies. <laughs> sinus. Don't worry, allergies. I sneezed right on you, but don't worry, it was just it's just allergies. a flesh wound. Don't worry about it. The show must yeah. go on. See, this is what I do because I love it. Um, all right, that's enough. Uh, thanks everyone for listening, and we'll talk with everyone in the next one. You've been listening to Identity at the Center. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at identityatthecenter.com and find us on Twitter at IDAC Podcast. See you next time on Identity at the Center.